You're listening to the Peak Annual Wellness Podcast with Dr. Jeffrey Epstein. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Peak Annual Wellness Center Podcast. My name is Chris, and I'm joined here with Dr. Jeffrey Epstein. How's it going, Dr. Jeff? Great. How are you doing, Chris? Doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. Awesome. Um, Well, let's get right into it. Uh, In our last episode, we were talking with Tasha Saka, uh, and we had lots to talk about there because she works right in an assisted living facility. Um, But since then, we've had uh, lots of different updates. And let's start with the flotilla that you had in Winter Haven. How did that go? It was awesome. You know, there were so many people out there having fun um, on the water, in the bars, you know, late into the night. Um, in fact, it went so well, we're going to have to have our next one over in Tampa. Oh, wow. So it, it went that well. <laughs> yeah, probably Rocky Point. You know, we're going to need all of uh, Tampa Bay, I think. We're just going to pack it. That's pretty cool. Um, and I understand you were raising money for a certain cause. Is that right? Yeah, we were raising money for uh, a number of causes. One was juvenile uh, diabetes. Another was uh, we were raising money for uh, Puerto Rico. We have a friend who um, has a lot of relatives there, and it's not uh, going as well as you see on the news sometimes. There's still people that need you know, basic stuff. So we're raising money for Puerto Rico. Yeah. Uh, a friend of ours, um, her, her son, just had a bone marrow transplant for aplastic anemia. Wow. And even though she has you know, excellent insurance, the co-pays and the deductibles add up to, you know, over $10,000 and more per year. So um, in the flotillas, we try to raise some money for some good causes like that. And we'll be doing that again um, at our next flotilla. And we always do that through a crowdsourcing. Um, I forget which one we used, but, um, and it's still up there. If you want to donate uh, for Christopher, um, he just got home from the hospital. He's doing really well. Um, he was in the hospital for a month, month and a half. And you know, it's not, it's not easy when you go through that regimen he went through, you know, with the bone marrow and he's finally feeling a little better. But, um, so we're really, we're really thankful about that. Um, and now, now the real recovery comes. Wow. Well, you know, we're all pull, pulling for him and, uh, you know, you're right about Puerto Rico. You know, uh, I think, uh, all of us have somebody that we know, or, or at least somebody that we know, uh, if they're not in Puerto Rico, uh, they have family there. And, uh, you know, just the reports that, you know, a friend of mine had just come back from visiting Puerto Rico and they're still recovering. And it's been, it's been about a year, hasn't it? Well, you know, I, it seems like it was yesterday, but it could be that long. I don't know. Has it been that long? It's, uh, it's coming up on it, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So just, uh, just a lot of stuff and they're in our thoughts and prayers. Um, and so uh, with the, the different causes you were raising money for there at the flotilla, can you say how much you raised? Did you meet your goal? Uh, you said that it's, it's still up so people can still go and donate. Yeah, we have an ongoing goal and we're going to probably leave it open for the next flotilla or two. We kind of do it on a yearly rolling basis. And so okay. we're off to a good start. Um, and we're, um, you know, right now partitioning it up amongst the different, um, you know, um, uh, charities. And, um, so we just, we just sort of like, uh, get it and give it. And, uh, but it's, people have been very generous and, uh, we've been very thankful for that. 
Well, that's really good to hear. And we'll be sure to put uh, in the show notes uh, a link to, uh, to where people can go and donate, uh, as well as on our website and on our different social media platforms so that people can uh, be generous and, and contribute and uh, do you know chip in their part? Um, you had some recent updates uh, with some different patients you've been seeing over the over the past month. Uh, they've been uh, really just uh, astounded by you know the information that they've received just by doing the annual wellness visit. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, you know um, it's so rewarding when you when you go with the report to the patient and you go through it with them and show them exactly what's in there, and then you get to answer all their questions, discuss you know uh, topics, give them information, and then you know once they you know once they have all that information um, and it's organized in the report, then they're able to go to their doctor and you know educated patient along with an organized report, you know it enables their doctor to really. Um, take care of a lot more problems in that 10, 15 minutes that they they allot, you know, for every patient. Um, and we've gotten great reports from from patients where they've told us the, pa- the doctor's been delighted because, you know, they get so much done because everything is so well organized and the patients are so well informed that, you know, normally they could get through one or two or three problems. You know, now they can get through those problems more quickly and then also discuss other issues like end of life you know, issues, um, you know, you name it, you know, if they're a fall risk, you know, it's not like they have to discover it and then educate the patient and then like take all this time, um, you know, clearing up misconceptions. They get a patient that's already been educated by us. They've already read information that we've given to them. And so when they go to the doctor and the doctor looks through that list of things to do and they, they go, they, 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 you know, they get to that fall risk, the patient already knows that they might go to a physical therapist or they might go to a neurologist or they might go different places depending on what the doctor thinks the fall risk is due to, you know, some people just have weak legs and need strengthening. Some people have inner ear problems and don't have good balance. So there's, so, um, you know, the doctors, the patients have been reporting that the doctors have been delighted because I think the doctors have felt like they've been better able to be better doctors in that short amount of time. And doctors are very frustrated by the fact that they have to see, you know, patients uh, at that rate. They'd love to have more time with patients. And I think this enables them to accomplish more in that you know time period that they have. So in that sense, the patients are delighted, the doctors are delighted, and we're so happy to hear that. Um, the report is really easy to use for doctors, and I think that's part of it. And you know reporting on some outcomes, we've had some you know reports back already that uh, one patient went to her doctor and we recommended a colonoscopy that she hadn't had for eighteen years, and she got the colonoscopy finally because uh, it was brought to everybody's attention and to her attention. And they found a, a, a polyp that was precancerous. Wow. Um, another patient um, had, you know, cramps in his legs and had swelling in his legs. And, you know, I was, you know, I'm an internist and a geriatrician. And so when I hear about a problem, I always have to try to solve it. So, <laughs> you know, I just told him to drink a little, you know, quinine every night with a little I'm sorry, drink a little quinine every night. Drink a little tonic water every night that has a little quinine in it. And quinine at those doses is known to take care of leg cramps. Don't drink too much quinine because I hear it's not good for you. No, no, too much uh, cures malaria. But anyway, quinine, a little bit takes care of leg cramps, everybody. And you can get it in tonic water. We used to be able to give you pills, but then they took it off the market um, for some reason. Um, So his cramps went away. 
I told him to put on some stockings, you know, on his, on, when he walks with his, you know, walks around, you know, and I told him about, you know, venous insufficiency and valves and how the calf muscle pump works. And so a week after I saw him, he didn't have any cramps and he didn't have swelling in his legs and he was really happy about that. And, you know, he still has to go to his doc uh, about the report, but you know, it was just, it's just very rewarding to help people with the little stuff, the stuff that they just seem to be the symptoms they have that, you know, they haven't been able to, you know, get, get good, good, good treatment for, or, or get, you know, satisfaction in that they've, you know, gotten that symptom to go away, or at least they're in control of it. So he had some leg cramping and just a very simple remedy, uh, was able to take care of that. And your patient with the polyp that you said was precancerous, is that right? Yeah. If she had not had this annual wellness visit, would she have even known about checking this? She knew because she was a social worker, but just like everybody else, you know, what you know and what you do and whether you remember it or not, you know, so she knew she should have been doing it, but it, <clears throat> she hadn't been reminded and she hadn't done it. Um, you know, these polyps, if you don't catch them, you know, within three to five to 10 years, they sometimes become invasive. And so, you know, she may have had a colonoscopy two or three years from now in time, or she may have found out 10 years from now when she, she developed symptoms that, and it was already too late. You know, she's 68, really healthy person, probably expects to be healthy at 78. I expect to be healthy at 78. So you don't really want cancer to come along and blindside you, blindside you even at, at, an, at that age, which is not that advanced anymore. 78, used to be really old. It's not that old anymore. It's actually classified, I think, as, you know, middle age or young adult. <laughs> not, that, not that good, but I think it's actually, you know, early, I don't know, they've reclassified it, but 78 is not that old anymore. Believe right, it or we're not. living longer. Yeah, and just ask 78-year-olds, you know, they're not going to, you know, yeah, we're all living longer. And, uh, yeah, we're pushing things back. So, um you know, we got to stay healthy and active. Absolutely. Well, you know, the president, he's, uh, what, 71, 72, or 73, somewhere in there. William Shatner's 80-something, and he's tweeting and still involved in a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah, you know, it's uh, we, we need wisdom at, at this point. I think the people that are older sometimes have a little bit of extra wisdom. They've been through a little more than we have. You know, I've been through a lot, but, you know, I got born, you know, some of the people still alive went live went through, you know, World War II, Korean War, the Cold War. They have, you know, some of them are a little senile at this point, so we don't want to listen to them too much. But you know, we got a lot of wisdom out there as as our population ages. We need to take advantage of that. We can all learn something, that's for sure. And I, I'll tell you something. I think the normal average day normal person has a lot more wisdom than some of these uh, celebrities and politicians and famous people. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that that could be the case. So the the general, you know, you've been seeing these patients. What's the general, uh, you know, reaction? The reception? What what's what's the general consensus for these people who have never had an annual wellness visit, and then after they go through the visit with you, what you know, what what's what's their reaction to it? I think they're genuinely surprised by how easy it is how thorough the report is and how once they see it all in one place, 
it kind of becomes more than the separate elements. It becomes their, you know, their medical history, their, their, you know, who they are from the inside out in terms of, you know, what their problems are, what medications they're on, what kind of symptoms they're having, you know, what, what kind of cancer screens and immunizations they've had, what kind of screening they have. So we know, you know, we know how they are. We know, you know, we do activities of daily living, you know, is this a, 70-year-old person that can do everything, can drive, can shop, can do laundry, can clean their house? Or is this a 70-year-old person who, you know, doesn't drive anymore and needs help shopping and, you know, can't do laundry, but, you know, still can, you know, uh, walk down to get a meal? You know, we know exactly through this report what their medical condition is. You know, not only, you know, the, you know, the, the medical stuff like, you know, heart disease or, or diabetes, but also the functional aspects. You know, can they you know, are they able to stay at home alone or do they need assisted living or, you know, or, or even a more structured environment than that? So, you know, the, the comprehensiveness of the, of the visit, I think, is surprising to people because they don't really understand, you know, when we tell them that, you know, the yearly physical does so much and then the annual wellness visit does the rest and kind of the two together are the comprehensive health evaluation, they don't really understand how limited the physical, the yearly physical is. And then they're really delighted to see the report and see the comprehensiveness, especially when it's family members for, you know, people they're caring for. All of a sudden, they sort of say, wow, now I understand or now I have something all written in one place that I can use as a resource, as a reference. Um, so I think that's the main thing. You know, people are surprised by how, how awesome it is. Yeah, and, you know, some of the people that I talk to who, you know, they've actually already had uh, their annual wellness visit, you know, on paper, so to speak, uh, a couple of them from their primary care doctor. When I tell them about the peak annual wellness visit uh, and that they get this, you know, this, uh, it, it's a very comprehensive report, like you just talked about. They're like, well, I didn't get that from my primary care doctor. Um, you know, what do you tell those, those people who maybe they, they actually want that report? Can they still come and see you? Yeah. You know, and, and we, um, that's, that's a great question because we, you know, some people don't know, you know, did they get the yearly physical? Did they get the annual wellness visit? Did they get the annual checkup? You know, Medicare pays for one, doesn't pay for another. So everybody's kind of confused. You know, some people have part B, which, which is traditional Medicare and some have part C, which is commercial like United and Aetna. So people are kind of confused. So the way we kind of clarify it for them is if, you know, if you went to your doctor and they, you know, drew some blood, you know, did a physical on you, poked and prodded, that's the yearly physical. Um, and if you went to your doctor and they just had a discussion with you and did a very limited physical, like a blood pressure, heart rate, and that was, you know, hearing or vision, and it was like that, and then you got this great report or a written report, that's the annual wellness visit. And then, um, you know, some people say they got the annual wellness visit and they say, I didn't get a written report. Well, that means you didn't get the annual wellness visit because in their Medicare guidelines, the physician is required to give you a report and is required to do, you know, all 41 elements where they can't bill for it and, and won't be paid. So, you know, if you didn't get a written report, you didn't have the annual wellness visit and you can come to us and get it done. Um, you probably had just the yearly physical and if your doctor, um, you know, billed Medicare for the annual wellness visit and didn't give you a report, that's not going to sit well with Medicare because 
the annual wellness visit is paid for to do specific things. It's not just a free visit to your doctor to go and do the usual. It's a, a specific type of visit that's meant to reduce hospitalizations by identifying gaps in care and filling those gaps. For example, identifying someone who didn't get the pneumonia shot that should have gotten it and then bringing that to the attention of, the do of their doctor and them, um, identifying gaps in care like that, and then identifying vulnerabilities like are you a fall risk? Are you, is your home safe? You know, do you, can, you, can you do activities of daily living? And once we identify those vulnerabilities, we can address them and keep you out of the hospital. So Medicare wants this done to keep people out of the hospital, keep them healthy, um, and if doctors are not doing it and billing for it, uh, Medicare will probably audit them and they're, they could be in trouble. So oh, if, you wow. got, if you got a written report, that's good. Uh, or, or that means you got the annual wellness visit. And if you didn't, you probably just got the yearly physical. So you can come to us for the annual wellness visit or you can ask your doctor to do it. And if they do it, that's great. But make sure they give you a written report. Uh, if they don't, then they're not doing it. And you can come to us and we're happy to do it for you. So that's the surefire way for them to know, did I or did I not get the annual wellness visit when I met with my primary care doctor is, did you walk out with a you know, fully written report in their hands? Yeah, if you got a Band-Aid on your arm and no report, yearly physical. If you got no Band-Aid on your arm from a blood stick and a report, annual wellness visit. That's a great way to remember it. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think that's a good way to remember it. Um, you know, there's been some some things that happened recently. Uh, you know, you and I were talking before the show about uh, a Charles uh, Krauthammer uh, who does some journalism and, you know, kind of how that relates to, you know, things that he's gone through his life and, you know, how that contrasts with, you know, the recent happenings of, uh, you know, that we've seen in the news with Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdain, you know, talking about mental health and perspective and, you know, just how we look at life, you know, talk to us a little bit about that, you know, just to give people uh, a brief summary, what's been going on with these people and what they can look out for in their own lives. Yeah, you know, um, uh, recently there have been some things going on in the news with some famous people that um, brings up questions about, um, you know, pretty important things in our life. Um, probably most people have heard that you know, Anthony Bourdain um, apparently committed suicide in France by hanging himself, and Kate Spade, who was a designer and married to uh, the guy from Saturday Night Live's brother, and she was a designer, she committed suicide, and I heard also uh, by hanging herself, and, you know, we all know Robin Williams, you know, a few months ago, um, and, um, you know, you, you contrast that, you know, with someone like Charles Krauthammer, who, um, he, he's a pretty well-known commentator, um, he's on the news all the time on expert panels. He's conservative, writes books, um, uh, really well known. And he, uh, he's a psychiatrist, um, and he's been paralyzed from the chest down since first year of medical school when he dove into a pool and, you know, broke his neck and, uh, became a psychiatrist and went to Washington to do policy work with Jimmy Carter, then worked as a writer for Mondale. And then at some point, you know, went from liberal to conservative. And um, it's been a, a really, really um, reasoned voice all over all the years, and, and especially recently. So he uh, developed cancer last year, 
Um, and now the cancer has returned. He probably only has a few weeks or months to live. And he sent a letter to everybody, you know, saying, you know, I think this is the end for me. Uh, you know, the cancer's returned, the, the battle's over. Um, and he said, I lived a life that I envisioned and wanted to live. And so here's a guy that was faced with tremendous, um, tremendous adversity. You know, a young guy all of a sudden finds himself paralyzed. And, and, and the way he dealt with it really shows his character, which is he just went on with his life and did the best he could and lived a great life, became a great man. And now the end is near and he, you know, is, is handling it as people would expect, you know, with dignity and, and class. And he's just saying goodbye and, and talking about how great his life was. When other people might look at his life and say, wow, you know, you got paralyzed and, you know, how terrible and, you know, um, and then you contrast that to people who, you know, commit suicide. And, you know, you never know why. There's a lot of reasons people commit suicide. Uh, some people do it out of strength. Some do it out of weakness. Um, but, um, you know, it's really, in the end, it's, it, it, in a way, it's quitting. You know, it's like, you know, we're in a race or we're in a, we have a life and it's going to end naturally at some point. To, to take it yourself is, is, is either quitting or, or, or taking yourself out of the game early. And it's something Charles Krauthammer never did. He actually just decided to make the best of things. Um, you know, we don't want to judge people. No one knows what's going on in their lives or in their brain chemistry, or even if they actually killed themselves. You know, we have reports, you know, that they did. Um, and, um, you know, there are, there are weird things that happen in this world. But um, it just goes to show, I think, that, you know, with what we do with the elderly and keeping them healthy and with what we do, you know, if they're not healthy – you know, it's all a matter of doing the best you can with what you've got, being the best you can be. And whether you're young and just got paralyzed and you have a whole life ahead of you or whether, you know, you're going through a bad patch um, in your life and it seems like it'll never end. And, you know, it's just, you know, what's your character and what are you going to do? And um, I think we've seen things in the news where people kind of can see things that how, how people reacted to stuff. And, you know, get a sense of, you know, what they would do or how they want to be or kind of figure out for themselves, you know, what does it mean, you know, to deal with adversary, adversity? What does it mean when someone commits suicide? How does that affect their family? How does that, you know, impact their friends? And it just makes you think about stuff. And it's worth discussing with friends and family because these issues aren't discussed very often. And just by talking about it, you can just learn so much about yourself and about others. And, you know, it should be talked about. It's a part of life. You know, people are born and people die. People die different ways. They die of cancer, they commit suicide, you know, they fall off a bridge. Um, you know, it's part of life and it's going to happen to everybody at some point. We're all going to die. You know, life is a terminal condition. Sorry to uh, inform some of you that nobody's really yet survived it in all of history. So we're all going to end at some point. What we want to do is help people, you know, end it all when they're like, you know, 100 or 110 years old when they're so you know, when they're done living, you know, and then when they fall down and break their hip or then when they get to pneumonia, you know, they're ready to go and they've had another 10, 20 years with their family and their family's had another 10, 20 years with them. Um, but I know I went on a long time about, you know, the recent news, um, but it's, it's, it's um, you know, it's always, uh, it's always, um, it's always striking, I guess you might say, when, some, when a celebrity commits suicide, someone like Robin Williams or someone like Anthony Bourdain, people that seem to have it all and seem to be so happy and make people, other people happy, whether it's with comedy or food or TV shows or with fashion. Uh, but, you know, we have to remember celebrities are just like all of us. You know, they, 
you know, they might be smiling on the outside, but on the inside, they, they might not be doing so well. Is it a matter of perspective? You know, you said that, you know, celebrities are just like any of us, you know, we're all, we're all people, you know? Um, so what type of perspective does somebody, you know, need if, if they're, you know, on the inside, you know, if they're listening to this now and, you know, they're struggling through some thoughts, uh, through, you know, emotional pain, maybe, or even physical pain that causes emotional pain. What are some perspectives that, you know, we can offer those people uh, to, to help, you know, keep going and, and realize that there actually is, you know, a light at the end of the tunnel. There's, there's hope on the other side of, of the mountain, you know, what, what kind of things can we offer for those people? I think, um, you know, if, if someone's feeling down and feeling so bad that they're thinking about killing themselves, you know, and that's all they're thinking about or thinking about, about it a lot. You know, my main advice for someone like that is just, just humble yourself and, and get help. Um, don't try to handle it yourself because you might end up doing something, um, you know, which, you know, you'll, your family will regret, regret, but, um, get help because there's help out there. And, you know, even though it feels hopeless and even though you feel like you'll never be better again, you know, get help and, 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 and give it a shot, you know, get a good doc, get on the medications, work your way out of it. You know, it's, um, you just got to deal with it like any other, uh, challenge. You just got to work through it. You know, sometimes you feel terrible, but you got to get up and go to work and, you know, but, but, but get help. Don't try to handle it on your own because sometimes the brain chemistry just gets out of whack and you need a little bit of brain chemistry jiggling with, with those medications. And sometimes you need to talk to someone who's going to tell you, you know, that um, only depressed people think about, you know, the meaning of life. And so when you're not depressed anymore, you won't be thinking about the meaning of life because nobody's yet really come up with the answer, you know, over thousands and thousands of years. So what makes you know, a depressed person think they're going to come up with the meaning to figure out why they should live. You know, it's just someone needs to just tell these people that when you're happy, you won't be thinking about it. So it won't be a problem anymore. And if you're thinking about it and it is a problem, you probably won't set, you probably won't solve it because Socrates couldn't and Plato couldn't and all the other great geniuses over the years couldn't really answer the question. What is the meaning? Um, well, maybe one, you know, maybe religion has, has an answer, you know, whoever your religious leader is, I think maybe that's the meaning, but, um, you know, yeah, and again, turn to your faith, you know, turn to, you know, if you're Jewish, Christian or Muslim, turn to your faith, turn to your pastor, turn to your leaders and turn to the, uh, turn to a good psychiatrist or a good primary care doc and, and get help. That would be my main advice. Now with people who maybe they don't go so far as to, you know, consider, uh, those fatal thoughts, um, but maybe, you know, there's people listening who have gone so far as to, you know, they just neglect themselves, you know, what's, what kind of things, uh, can, can they do proactively or, you know, what kind of things can, uh, people around them do to help them, you know, to, to, to step out of that self neglect. That's a great question. And actually, um, I just saw an article last week. It came across my email for some reason. It was called, there's a condition, and I don't even know if this is real or not, but I'll tell you about it anyway because it sounds good and I like it. Um, 
There's a word called acedia, A-C-E-D-I-A. And if you look it up, it means malaise. Um, yeah, not quite depression, but just malaise, you know, and just not doing anything, being a couch potato, I guess, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and the article basically is saying that, you know, sometimes this, this acid, acedia feels like depression, seems like depression, and is mixed up with depression. But the difference between it and depression is that, you know, acedia works this way. You know, let's say you're a salesman and you have a big week planned and you go out and you do some calls, but then you don't do your reports and you don't do all the calls you could and you're taking naps and you're goofing off and you don't make the sales. And then, then, and then the next week you're like, you're just beating yourself up for doing that. You're like thinking, you know, I'm a loser. I can't make any sales. You know, I did, I goofed off. And then you can get into that downward spiral. And then once you downward spiral by starting to, you know, call yourself names and not doing stuff and being not doing more stuff, you can kind of go into a downward spiral where, like you said, you feel depressed, you're not doing anything, you're neglecting yourself, you're neglecting your worth. And so the point of this article was, if you're depressed, well, this wasn't, this is my point from the article. If you're depressed, you should assume you have acedia and depression, have both. You should be on the pills, getting the help, but you should also be thinking you have acedia because the way you fix acedia is you, you just work your way out of it. And, and not by doing anything extraordinary, but just by doing the little things, you got to get up every morning. You got to take a shower. You got to brush your teeth. You got to go to the market and go shopping. You got to do your laundry. You got to go out and meet with friends. You got to do all the little things that you do now, the chores, the little things. And, and that's what gets people better. Staying active, at least at that level. And the thing I loved about the article was if you're depressed, it gives you something to do. Like, it's not about just taking your pills and seeing your doctor and laying on the couch and complaining, you know? You get to complain for a while, right? Get it out, tell the psychiatrist all your problems, and then it's time to fix stuff and do stuff. Um, and it's time to start working, and it's time to start taking care of yourself, and it's time to, you know, hold yourself accountable to um, things that you would be held accountable to if your parents were around or if you were in the military. Uh, and if you do that, you'll get better quicker, and you'll have a much better chance of getting better. And I, the thing I love about it is, you know, I'm a big believer that, you know, you, 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 life is about working for things you want. It's about, um, you know, we're meant to work, you know, whether we're gathering, you know, food or whether we're hunting bison or whether we're cleaning up in camp, you know, we're meant to work. And so if you want to be mentally healthy, you better be working, you know, whether it's a job or whether it's going on a hike or whether it's going to the gym or whether it's painting a painting, whatever you think, Whatever you want to do, you got to be active and you got to be working. You got to be working, um, you know, even if you have nothing to do, you got to at least be, you know, doing your laundry and cleaning up and taking care of yourself. So my message to anybody that's so down and out that they just feel like doing nothing is, you know, get active, make a schedule, start doing stuff. And if you're that bad off, definitely go get some help because there's probably an element of depression and the antidepressants are really good nowadays. Um, It'll, it's really helpful. You know, if your doctor can get you sleeping and get you, you know, less anxious and give you a pill that makes you a little happier, um, that can make all the difference in the world. And it's not that you're going to be on it forever. It's like a little jump start. Um, but, but go get some help and don't, don't try to handle it yourself because when you try to handle it yourself, then, then you end up like Anthony Bourdain or Kate uh, Spade or, or um, you know, Robin Williams. And some of these things are actually, uh, screens that we have in the annual wellness visit. Uh, This is stuff that you look for when you're sitting down with a patient. Is that right? 
Yeah, and it's amazing. Yeah, exactly. And it's amazing how simple the screen is. The screen is basically two questions, you know, and it's one question is, you know, uh, it says, uh, you know, I feel hopeless um, and don't feel like doing anything. And then if you get a choice of, I never feel that way. I sometimes feel that way once a week. I feel that way more than half the week. I feel that way all the time. So people who are normal really don't feel that way most of the time. They get up, they want to do stuff. And so if someone doesn't answer that, I rarely feel that way, then they don't pass the depression screen. And then we sort of bring it to their attention and to their doctor's attention. You know, maybe they're depressed, maybe they're not, maybe they are, but you know, our screens are all designed to be super sensitive. And so just because you fail the depression screen doesn't mean you're depressed. It just means that, you know, you need to talk a little bit more about it with your doctor to make sure you're not depressed. Um, so one of the, one of the questions, as I said, was, you know, whether you feel happy or not most of the time. And then the other question is, um, you know, um, um, you know, how much energy do I have? You know, what is my life like? You know, and again, it's all about, you know, most of the time I'm doing good stuff or most of the time I feel really sad, depressed. I want to, so it's two real simple questions. And in those questions, if someone answers that they're rarely, they rarely fail depressed, feel depressed and they really fail, feel hopeless and they usually get up and want to do stuff. Well, then they're normal. No big deal. And if they don't feel that way, then we just sort of bring attention to the fact that maybe um, you need to talk to the patient a little bit more about it. I mean, it could just be that they're not feeling well because they don't sleep well. It could be they don't feel well because they've just gotten divorced or, you know, who knows why they're not feeling well, but we got to know why we got to make sure it's not depression. And if it is dep depression, we have to treat it. And if it's not, we at least have to know why they're feeling the way they are so we can do other measures and helping them deal with it. But the important thing to note, Chris, is that uh, 30 to 40% of people that in assisted living facilities, independent living facilities, memory units, a third to at least a third have either depression or dementia or a combination of both. Mm. And so as, as we age, those types of mental illnesses, which, you know, I wouldn't really, you know, we call them mental illness, but you know, someone that's getting, you know, uh, demented or senile, someone that's, you know, depressed as they get older, these are so common. It's almost like not mental illness anymore. It's just like you got to be on the lookout for it in everybody, but especially in 65 plus people, you know, as their friends start to die and as they get older and as they can't um, do as much as they used to be, do and as the brains, their brain cells, you know, don't produce as much Valium type drug as it used to. So, you know, a lot of stuff is going on as you, as you get older, socially, physically, chemically, everything. Are there some practical steps? Well, I guess this is a two-part question. Uh, number one is, you know, you, you mentioned 30 to 40% of people in assisted living facilities are going through some combination or, you know, one or the other of, you know, dementia or depression. Um, so how many of those people, you know, uh, you know, are, are they being looked over or are there even more people out, outside of that 30 to 40% scope that are, you know, it's just not being looked at? Uh, could there be more, you know, really is the question. And then if somebody isn't sure, you know, if they're in, you know, one or the other camp, uh, are there some practical things that they can be doing to help maybe slow that or prevent it? You know, can they be, uh, you know, taking something, you know, even in their, 
you know, their daily, you know, nutrition or their diet, can, can they modify that some way to just help, help that? Yeah. You know, with regards to depression, that's very treatable. So, um, that's something that we can treat or cure. So if someone's depressed, we really need to get on that with dementia, you know, Alzheimer's, there's new treatments. There's a few, there's, there's types of drugs that sort of, um, you know, slow down the progression. Um, they work in some people don't work in others. You know, everyone's heard of Aricept and other drugs like that. So, um, so when someone gets at least dementia or Alzheimer's, the question is why, and can you prevent further, um, progression, you know, vascular dementia is usually caused by a series of mini strokes. And so if you can prevent the strokes, you prevent the progression of the dementia. Alzheimer's is that neurofibrillatory tangle thing. Um, and there's some, uh, promising research that's, uh, ongoing, but I don't know that there's any way to prevent it or slow it at this point. Um, but you know, like anything else, if you put everything around it, that's healthy and good, that's the best thing to do. So good exercise, nutrition, the right amount of sleep, you know, dealing with stress, uh, doing all those things um, is important to maintain your health around whatever else is going on with regards to, you know, dementia, Alzheimer's, uh, depression. And, you know, Chris, the studies show 30 to 40%, but they also show that maybe only 10, 5 to 10% is recognized. Mm. So the opportunity is in recognizing it and treating it. A lot is not recognized because the doctors aren't screening for it. Maybe the patient has, you know, five really serious problems like heart failure, COPD, and renal failure, and then we'll have time to get to it or think about it. But that's why the annual wellness visit is so important because you do that once a year screening and you pick it up whether you want to or not. And if you pick it up, then you can treat it. Um, and even if it's dementia, sometimes it's pseudo-dementia. And what pseudo-dementia is, is someone that's acting demented, but they're really not demented. They're just depressed. And the way you tell pseudo-dementia is, they're all there. They're just kind of really slow and they don't really care, you know, so you can figure that out. You can tease it out. Um, but you know, my, my practice is usually anybody who's demented, they get treated for depression as well because a, it could be pseudo dementia. B, if they're demented, they're going to be depressed because anybody that's not depressed about losing their, um, intellectual capacity, um, maybe should be, but, um, you know, you just try different things and you see what works um, and things that are really common. You, um, you assume they're there and if it's not typical, it might be atypical. And, you know, the end result is you try to help people, uh, be as happy as they can, uh, be as functional as they can so they can stay as healthy as possible. And that's why it's so important for everybody listening to make sure that if they are qualify, if they're eligible for an annual wellness visit, uh, and they haven't had it yet to certainly go ahead and get that scheduled. Uh, or if you know somebody who is eligible uh, and has uh, Medicare Part B or C, uh, definitely encourage them to, to contact us if they're here in the Central Florida area to get that annual wellness visit scheduled. Uh, I want to talk about uh, some future expansions that uh, Peak Annual Wellness Center is venturing out into. Uh, we're starting to uh, dip our toe in the water, so to speak. Uh, I understand that you have made a connection with a local pilot. Is that right? Yeah, we're, we're working with uh, someone who uh, started their business flying a psychiatrist out to rural areas to take care of patients in facilities that wouldn't normally have access to a psychiatrist. And as you can imagine, um, people in the facility, you know, 
30, 40% need psychiatric med- medication management because they're depressed or they're demented. Um, and so we started this business this way, that way, um, with, with the psychiatric care and, and with, with the, you know, we need more psychiatrists. We don't have enough. And so the fact that a psychiatrist can actually go and visit patients in these rural areas um, is, is really um, important. And, and the facilities just love that. And what they found is facilities closer by also need psychiatrists uh, to go in and do medication management. And um, so we're, we're, you know, uh, going in there doing annual wellness visits on certain patients. Um, you know, we might even provide some primary care if the primary care docs at the facilities um, aren't providing the kind of service that's expected in terms of, you know, calling back and visiting patients, spending time with the patient, with the family, you know, really working um, diligently to keep people healthy and out of the hospital. We find that that isn't always the case. And many of the doctors that care for the patients in the facilities also care for them in the hospital. And we've heard about this, what they call the revolving door, which is the patient goes to the hospital, then back to the facility, then back to the hospital, and back to the facility. And um, so we're, we're out, again, to try to keep people out of the hospital, whether it's an admission or a readmission. And we think that with the right kind of attention and communication, um, uh, doctors can do a much better job working with the facilities to keep the patients out of the hospitals, keep them healthier, take care of problems in the facility, identify and get on top of things early. Um, And we, we, we plan to provide a, you know, you know, the quality of the care is the quality of the care, but you know, you can always differentiate yourself in terms of the quality of your service. Um, you know, how you communicate with families, patients, staff, and how you can enable the whole team to really provide, you know, better overall care as a team, you know, if you're the kind of doctor that, you know, listens and participates and values that team. Well, that sounds really exciting. Uh, I also understand that you have connected with uh, uh, somebody up in Mississippi, and it's, uh, you're also connecting with people out in San Diego. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, we have um, a doctor friend of mine who's a physician advisor and a, um, he's the chief medical officer of a federally qualified healthcare center in, um, in Mississippi. And he says there are 22 counties and a lot of it's rural, poor, doesn't have access to care. And he says a lot of Medicare patients haven't been to doctors in years. And so, you know, we have now an opportunity perhaps to get involved out there and maybe provide care to an underserved population, you know, the poor, the rural, where, you know, you can't get doctors to go see them, but with, you know, with our, with, with, with our pilot and with the ability to fly people to places, there's an opportunity with federally qualified healthcare centers that where people can actually go there and get annual wellness visits, you know, working with our process and our, 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 our technology and our, our, um, our policies and, and our whole process. Um, and also an opportunity to get to people that are more rural that couldn't otherwise get in. Uh, so that's, that's an interesting opportunity that we're exploring with our um, right now. And then we have a doctor in San Diego area who wants to do annual wellness visits, and we're going to be working with nurse practitioners and physicians in the area to, to staff up a program for his office so that his patients get the annual wellness visit, they get the report, and then when he sees them in the follow-up visit, he gets to do all the great stuff um, that need to be done. And he's looking forward to having a, you know, a second opinion or a consultation or just a little bit, 
you know, double check on, on his patients because he knows he's not perfect and he wants them to get the, the best possible uh, care. And in addition, once we do that, we'll be able to do his macro and MIPS for him, any HCC, any HCC coding he needs done. You know, we'll be able to do that for him. So we can really provide for him uh, a lot of a lot of value from uh, getting getting in there and doing annual wellness visits on his patients. Value to his patients, value to him, and we're just really excited to see you know what we can do with his hospitalization rate and readmission rate, and see what we can do to help him keep, help keep his patients you know healthy and well and out of the hospital and and living that you know great life that that everyone tells uh, everyone tells you you can live in San Diego. <laughs> That's San Diego life. And keeping people out of the hospital is the differentiating factor of the annual wellness visit for sure. Um, and we're expanding into primary care and genetic screening. Is that right? Yeah. You know, the facilities that we do psychiatric care in, they might need primary care. Sometimes they don't have enough docs. Sometimes the docs they have aren't providing the kind of service that they're um, expecting. Um, so we're going to be, you know, expanding into that area when we're asked to do it. And in terms of genetic testing, it's another way to check for vulnerabilities. Uh, people that have had personal histories of, you know, cancer, they, they might be uh, eligible for genetic screening. Uh, people that have certain findings on their genetic screening need to be uh, watched more closely sometimes. Sometimes you learn things about them that you can share with their family. So their kids or grandkids or cousins might need to be screened in a different way, depending on what gene they have uh, that goes along with the cancer that they had. So um, we're actually, you know, we're just doing anything we can to find, uh, you know, gaps in care and vulnerabilities. And if we find a vulnerability and it could be a genetic vulnerability, then we can know about it and take action. Um, there might be not, there might be no action we can take, or there might be good actions we can take, but the first step is at least identifying that vulnerability and then, um, you know, and then um, uh, taking care of it or, or addressing it in a proactive way. Well, that sounds really exciting. And it sounds like, uh, you know, PEAK is certainly rounding itself out and filling itself out uh, to better serve even more people. Um, is there any uh, parting words that you'd like to give to our listeners before we sign off here? Um, just, uh, you know, live life to the fullest. You know, if you like watching TV, go watch TV. If you like jetting off to Paris and you can afford it, jet off to Paris. You know, imagine the life you want and live it, uh, or at least try to. Um, you know, make a plan. Uh, whatever you do, don't don't sit on the couch and uh, get deconditioned and develop bed sores and go to the hospital and be that kind of person. Get up, get out. Even if you're heavy, even if you're morbidly obese. Get up and get out and exercise. Um, I was at one, uh, I was at a, a program for, for, for Lakeland in Polk County, and they were talking about um, how we're the seventh most obese county in the country out of about, I don't know, 200 or 2,000. We're number right. seven, so that's not very good, right? We have some, I guess, obese people in our, in our county. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, and, and what they want to do is they want to do the same stuff we've been doing for 40 years. You know, let's uh, try to get them to lose weight. Well, I think what we should do is not try to get them to lose weight because they're not going to lose weight. And this goes for smokers, too. Like, let's stop getting – let's stop trying to get smokers and, and heavy people to lose weight and stop smoking. 
let's try a different approach with them. Let's just say this. Hey, you want to smoke? Fine. You want to be heavy? Fine. But I want to see you out there exercising. I want to see you walking. I want to see you being active. I want to see you participating. Because if you're going to be heavy or you're going to smoke, we want to have the healthiest smokers and heavy people in the country, right? <laughs> We're going to invite people from all over the country to come to our county and to compete with our heavy people that smoke. And we're going to do athletic stuff and we're going to kick ass. So if you're heavy or you smoke and you want to keep doing it, go ahead, but at least add some exercise uh, to your program. Add some excitement. Go out, stay active, walk around like, you know, like uh, Hollingsworth, you know, stay active and be at least in good physical condition. And that'll help your mental condition and that'll help you overall. Some people just aren't blessed with being, you know, thin. Some people have the genetics of a, you know, a 300 pound person and they're not going to lose the weight. And so, and they can't, they have a slow metabolism, whatever, but you know, whatever you do, you got to be the best you can be and you got to be in shape and you got to be physically in shape, mentally in shape, spiritually in shape. And if you're not, and you're not feeling good, in my opinion, you only have yourself to, to, to blame for it. Um, you know, do what you can to be the best you can be, you know, deal with reality which, you know, if you're addicted to cigarettes, deal with it, but at least be healthy and be active. If you're, you know, obese and you have a slow metabolism and everybody in your family's obese, fine, you're going to be obese, but at least be active, be in shape, you know, be that, you know, heavyweight, heavyweight wrestler or boxer, you know, that, that kicks ass, you know, be that person. So my last bit of advice, I guess, is just to do everything you can to be as healthy and as happy as you can be, you know, good luck. Uh, not everybody is blessed with you know, eternal happiness, like, you know, some people we see on TV and in the movies. Um, but, you know, you do the best you can with what you've got. And as long as you're striving to be the best you can be, there's nothing anybody can ask for other than that. And you should be proud of it, take pride in it, um, celebrate it, and just keep doing it. Be the best you can be. That's good advice. Well, this has been another episode of the Peak Annual Wellness Center podcast with Dr. Jeffrey Epstein. My name is Chris. And if you need to schedule your annual wellness visit, if you're eligible and you qualify and you're interested in more information, go to our website at peakawc.com. That's P-E-A-K-A-W-C.com. Or you can give us a call at 855 732 5292. That's 855-732-5292. Someone will get back to you within about 24 hours or less and help you to get that first appointment scheduled and it will change your life. Thank you for listening. Tune in next time. Thank you for listening to today's episode. For more information or to schedule your annual wellness visit, please visit us online at peakawc.com. That's P-E-A-K-A-W-C dot com.